Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, we'll be uh, focusing our attention tonight on Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, so if you turn there in your pew Bibles with me uh, and follow along as I read. Again, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking to the crowd says, therefore I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here we're going to end the reading of God's holy word tonight. Well, dear congregation, according to a recent report that I read in Time magazine, it appears that the United States is plagued by an anxiety epidemic. The numbers are in, and studies show that approximately 40 million American adults, it's about 18% of our population, struggles with regular besetting anxiety. And as you might guess, the the causes of this anxiety, this worry, are many. They're diverse, ranging from stress over health and finances to to worry over personal safety and the, the very difficult and hot political climate in which we find ourselves. But all in all, our society appears to be gripped by worry, what James Montgomery Boyce calls Fear in search of a cause. Well, in the passage we've just read here, our Lord Jesus addresses this very uh, pervasive problem, this pervasive struggle in our lives, the the problem of anxiety, the problem of worry. And I just want to pause briefly and, and point out the fact that Jesus here is talking about anxiety or worry in particular as what we might call a spiritual or, in this case, unspiritual habit of the heart. Um, 
To be sure, we know today that there are many causes for anxiety, including chemical imbalances or um, anxiety disorders, all of which might be addressed or treated in a variety of ways. But here our Lord Jesus is focusing on worry or anxiety as, as a spirit, in terms of a spiritual habit of the soul. And if we're to properly understand his teaching here on the topic of worry, it's, it's important to look back a few sentences and see how Jesus introduces this topic. You notice that the very first word of our passage in verse 25 is the word therefore. And I know I've told you before that whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you must ask, what's the therefore therefore? Because that word indicates that what Jesus is talking about is linked, it's connected to what he has just said. And in the previous section of this chapter, verses 19 to 24, what does Jesus say to the crowd in his sermon? He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Because earthly treasures, earthly goods, don't last. They cannot satisfy. Here Jesus teaches that there's a strong link between our hearts and the things that we treasure. And he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the lesson for us is this. If we value the material possessions of this earth above all else, then our hearts will have become idolatrous, replacing God with material desires or or material things that cannot meet our deepest desires. And that's why he concludes and says, you cannot serve God and money. It's one or the other. It cannot be both. Well, notice that it's in this context, in this context where Jesus warns us against the idolatry of the heart that he commands us on three separate occasions, in fact, not to be anxious about our lives, not to be anxious about our most basic human needs, food and drink and clothing. Why does he follow up with this topic of worry after talking about the idolatry of the world? Why? Because to worry about these things is to link our hearts not to the things of God's kingdom, but to the things of this world that are passing away. Instead, Jesus says, cast your cares upon me. Trust my provision that it's perfect for you and seek the righteousness of my kingdom. That's what we're going to look at this evening, noticing, first of all, that God, in verse 25, commands us not to worry, commands us not to worry. It's it's interesting to notice that Jesus begins this part of his sermon with a strict command. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And we hear this command of Jesus, and we're tempted to respond to it with a measure of cynicism or skepticism. Some of us, on one hand, might think, well, I, you know, I don't particularly struggle with anxiety. Worry's not something I have a problem with. I'm, I'm pretty good at managing my stress with clean eating and good exercise and all that sort of thing. So I think these words of Jesus really pertain to others, not me. Others of us might think, well, yes, I struggle with worry. 
I struggle with anxiety, but you know what? If you had to cope with my hectic work schedule and my troublesome home schedule and issues, well, you'd be worried too. And so my worry, my anxiety, it's justified. I have a right to my worry and my anxiety. We so readily respond to Jesus' command not to worry by rationalizing this, by coming up with excuses for the anxious thoughts that we entertain. And yet Jesus' command is very straightforward here. It's very straightforward. It's not hard to discern. Jesus says we must not worry about our lives because at its core, worry is idolatry. Worry is idolatry. When we adopt the habit, the spiritual disposition of worrying about our basic needs, what does that reveal about us? It reveals that in some way, our hearts have a greater love for the the material things around us, the stuff of our lives, the conditions of our lives, than for God Himself. And in that way, brothers and sisters, worry is a very subtle, sneaky form of idolatry and worldliness. Martin Lloyd-Jones says something about this in a very helpful way. He says, there are many people who may not be guilty of laying up treasures on earth. Many of us are not stockpiling earthly goods in our homes and in our garages. But we can nevertheless be very guilty of worldliness because we're always thinking about these things. We're anxious about these things. We dwell upon them constantly. That, too, is a form of worldly worry. And what it uncovers is disordered priorities in our lives. Look what Jesus says in the second half of verse 25. He poses a question here. He says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He talks about two very basic things in our lives, food and clothing. And we must remember, of course, that that Jesus lived in a society in which food and clothing shortages were a lot more common than they are today in first world America. The need for food, the need for clothing, the need for shelter was a much greater concern for people living in the first century, those who heard Jesus' sermon when it was originally preached. And nevertheless, it is to these people that Jesus says, Set aside your anxieties about these basic things of life and entrust yourself to your heavenly Father who made you. After all, Jesus teaches, we have have life only because our heavenly Father has given it to us. We have life only because our heavenly Father sustains our lives. And he says, he who has provided the greater thing, life itself, and your body, If he's provided that, will he not also furnish for you? Will he not also give you the lesser thing, namely the food and the drink and the clothes, to sustain that body? Of course he will. Is not life more important than food and the body than clothes? Or to ask the question the way Paul does in Romans 8, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things that we need? And that's why Jesus commands us, don't confuse your priorities. 
Don't be preoccupied with your worldly, earthly circumstances. If you're wealthy and comfortable, fine, don't make an idol of it. If you're poor and needy, don't concentrate on your misery. Don't worry. Entrust yourself to your heavenly Father because He knows what you need and He will provide it for you. And that's the second thing we notice here in this passage, that God proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is able to care for us. He's able to meet our needs. In verses 26 to 30, Jesus points His audience's attention to the world around them. He points them to creation, and He uses the created realm as illustrations, as as reasons for us to trust God and not be anxious. And He looks at the created realm to show how God cares for us and meets all of our needs. And in this section, you notice Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. In verse 26, He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, the sky above Palestine was routinely filled with flocks of birds. Perhaps a flock had just thrown over, uh, flown overhead as Jesus was preaching this, this sermon. In any case, Jesus uses the birds of the sky as proof that God will provide for us even apart from our own effort. Now, Christ here is not suggesting that birds are lazy. He's not suggesting that they're idle. He's certainly not suggesting that you and I should just sit on our couches and wait for uh, the the doorbell to ring and all of the provisions that we need for life to be set there at our doorstep. Now, today you can actually do that, sadly. But the point Jesus makes here is that birds do search for their food. They are active. But there's one thing they cannot do. They cannot store their food away in barns. They can't prepare for the lean months of the year when food might be short. They live day to day simply on the food that God provides for them by His providence. And so Jesus' argument is this. If the birds who cannot in any real way plan ahead, if even they have no reason to worry, then certainly you, my followers, those created by me who have been given intelligence and knowledge so that you can take thought for the future, certainly you should not be filled with apprehension. Again, if God provides for these lesser creatures, these lower creatures who, are, uh, who, who will one day pass away and be no more, then certainly you who are created in my image, certainly you will be provided for. Because are you not more valuable to God than them? Moving on to verse 27, Jesus goes on to illustrate how unreasonable, how senseless worry is. He says, and which of you by being anxious could add a single hour to his span of life? Now here Jesus uses a very interesting word for span. He actually uses the word cubit. I'm sure you've probably at least heard that word cubit. The cubit was an ancient measurement of length, about 18 inches or so. Jesus literally says, which of you by being anxious can add even a cubit to his lifespan? A very small thing 
relatively speaking, hardly noticeable, even, especially if you're measuring one's lifespan by it. And yet Jesus says, not even that small measure could be added to your life by worrying. Oh, we might worry ourselves to death, but we cannot worry ourselves into a longer span of life. So Jesus says, worry, fear in search of a cause, it's, it's worthless. It's got no benefit for us. There's no payoff. There's no blessing for worrying because we could not possibly secure a better life for ourselves through worrying than our good and sovereign God can give us by His power. Well, finally, Jesus turns again to nature to demonstrate the senselessness of worry, and He urges His followers and all of us to put our trust in the Lord to meet our needs. He points out the lilies of the field, the wildflowers, like those growing on the hillside there. Jesus says, look at these wildflowers. Look at how they grow. Look at how they live. They don't toil. They don't spin. They don't labor on their own to, to make a better life for themselves. They don't work hard at being beautiful. They aren't even tended by a gardener. They're not even tended by a human hand. And yet, says Jesus, although the wildflowers don't spin a single thread to clothe themselves, even Solomon, wise, successful, wealthy, grandiose Solomon, even he was not dressed, not arrayed like one of these. My doctoral advisor loves to camp and stop at various areas of our country and look for wildflowers. He knows them all by their scientific term. And he posts pictures of them on Facebook, and I love to look at them. And he posted a picture of something called a blue star tulip. It's about half the size of a dime. Think about that, half the size of a dime, hardly visible to the naked eye, easily step on it or step over it. But it is beautiful, intricate, exquisite, and it grows by itself. No one tends it. No one puts down seeds for it. It just grows there in the wild, and it is extremely beautiful. And Jesus says, even the most beautiful and ornate garments that Solomon's seamstresses could fashion were but a second-rate imitation of the pristine beauty crafted by God's hand in creation in the wildflowers. And Jesus says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Despite the immense beauty of these flowers of the field, which God tends, even they are fleeting. They're here one day, the next day they're used to fuel the oven so that you can bake your bread. What's the lesson for us? It's clear. If, if God adorns, if God spends so much time on even the grass of the field to make it beautiful, grass that's destined for the fire, 
Will he not certainly provide for his children, for you, for me, who are not destined for the fire, who are not destined for destruction, but are destined for eternal glory with him? Will he not clothe you? Will he not care for you perfectly in every way? Again, we're reminded how senseless worry is when we serve a God who has given us everything in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, just think about your life for a moment. Think about your life. Who gave you your life? Where did it come from? Of course, we know it's a gift. It's a gift from God alone. You and I didn't, didn't give ourselves the gift of being. The very fact that we are sitting here right now alive and breathing is simply because of God's will and His preserving power. That's what we read in James. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variation of change. And if God has given you this gift, is he, if He has given you life, Do you think that even for a moment he could deny himself and deny his methods and not see to it that your life is sustained and enabled to continue? Impossible. You see, we have no need to be anxious because our God proves time and time again that he is able, that he is willing, that he delights to care for us. And because of that truth, finally, God calls us to kingdom service. Jesus concludes His lesson here on anxiety by calling us to be obedient. He calls us to be kingdom disciples. And I want you to notice tonight that this call has two sides. First, it has a a negative prohibition, but it also has a positive command. As for the the prohibition, we read in verses 31 and 32, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Why? Because the Gentiles, the pagans, run after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to live in a manner unlike our pagan neighbors. And I wonder, have you ever watched the way your unbelieving neighbors live? You ever watched them from the living room window just to see how they live? Very often, most times, they lead lives that are overly busy. They're hectic lives. They they are constantly preoccupied with the accumulation of wealth and stuff and material possessions. Many of them can't stand still for even a moment. Their their whole life is just a, a whirlwind of striving, a chasing after the wind. Why is that the case? Is it because they're more industrious than we are? Is it because they're more driven? They they're just uh, more productive? Is that why? No. It's because they fail to recognize a heavenly Father. They do not know the care of God. They live each day in utter ignorance of God's spiritual promises and blessings. And so what do they have left? 
All they have left is to set their minds, their hearts, on material things, on food and clothing and entertainment and wealth and their reputation and all such things as those. That's all they have left. These are the things that consume them from morning till night, day after day after day. But now I wonder, have your neighbors ever noticed the way you live? Have your neighbors ever watched you from the living room window? Because we, as those who belong to Christ, ought to live differently. We ought to trust our Heavenly Father and not be afraid because He knows what we need and He will provide it. Our lives shouldn't be characterized by worldly fear and uncertainty or or a hectic striving after material things that will simply fade away like the grass that's thrown into the oven. We should be those who, who live our lives in light, constantly in light of God's providence. And you all know how the Heidelberg Catechism speaks about God's providence, how trusting God's providence should look in the believer's life. It's worth reading. We can be patient when things go against us. We can be thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they can neither move nor be moved. That's our confession. That's the truth that drives our life as believers, and there should never be a day that goes by in which we do not thank God profoundly for the many gifts that we receive from His hand as those who are content to rest in what God provides. Jesus calls us to reject the godless life of our pagan neighbors, but on the positive side, We are commanded, verse 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things God promises will be added to you. Rather than striving after worldly, transient things, what are we to do? We're to strive after God's eternal kingdom, actively explore ways that we can be more uh, fully acknowledging God as the king of our lives. We're called to trust God's promises. We're called to pray for His church and our neighbors and our world. We're called to share the good news of salvation to the lost. Out of gratitude, we are to do good for the service of others and for the glory of God. And the wonderful promise here is that for those who are going about the work of God's kingdom, there's a glorious reward. While we focus our attention not on worldly worries, but on the work of God's kingdom and His righteousness, while our attention is focused there on the things of God, what is our Heavenly Father doing? He's meeting all of our needs. He's giving us everything that we need to live and to serve in the joy and the completeness that only He can give us. Our Lord Jesus concludes His teaching on worry with this final word. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Brothers and sisters, tomorrow, 
The Lord will bring new responsibilities. He'll bring new trials into your life. But He will also provide new grace. He'll give new strength to meet those responsibilities and trials. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is always great. There's no need to start worrying about tomorrow because worry has no positive payback, no positive benefit. It's always idolatrous. The only right way to provide for tomorrow without at the same time being anxious is to take care that today we follow the admonition of verse 33, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Because tomorrow, God will take care of tomorrow for you. And so as believers, we can know the spiritual bliss of trusting God and not worrying because the God who made us is the same God who has a purpose for our lives. He's the same God who sustains our lives throughout our earthly journey, and He's the same God who promises that once our kingdom service has ended, He will receive us into His heavenly home that He's prepared for us to spend eternity in His glorious presence. And so, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, make it your business to seek God's interests and follow His ways and then stand back and watch. And you just see whether all of your physical needs, all of your spiritual and mental needs don't come to you effortlessly and without any necessity on your part of being anxious about them. These are the promises of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's give thanks to Him. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that You are a God who is faithful. You have made us. You have given us life. You've also given us new life in Jesus Christ. You have rescued us from sin and Satan and in death. In Christ, we have all spiritual blessings. Can we doubt that even for a moment, you will fail to give us all things, even physical needs? Lord, we pray that you would forgive us where we have not trusted you to be who you have revealed yourself to be in your word. Forgive us when we have doubted whether or not your promises are true. Forgive us for casting our love and our attention uh, too greatly upon the things of this earth, things that are passing away and will one day be destroyed. Lord, take away our worldly worry. Replace it with a calm, a contentment, a peace, a gratitude, a surrendering to your perfect will for us in Jesus Christ. For we know that all those who belong to you in Christ, their needs will be met perfectly in the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you for this promise, Lord. Continue to conform us to your perfect image. In Christ's name we pray, amen.